0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter number 17 tonight in your copy of the Word of God. And I wanna bring you uh, an important message for this church, but really for any church in these days, in these days. And I think that you know, as well as 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 I, that we're living in really difficult days to take a stand for Christ. Uh, More and more, uh, year by year, it becomes more and more difficult uh, to really embrace what it means to be a true Christian. And I believe this, that the more that we embrace the cause of Christ, the more that we stand up for the things of God, the more difficult it will become. Uh, Because we live in a society, really in a world, uh, that is becoming worse and worse. Now, that shouldn't surprise you. It's what the Apostle Paul told us 2,000 years ago. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. And we know that in these last days, uh, things just become really, really bad until Jesus comes back, and then they get even a little bit worse. But one day, uh, Jesus will rule and reign on planet Earth. That's a true thing, a true statement. Uh, until that day, uh, you and I represent Christ in a culture that is anything but Christ-like. So what does the Bible teach? How, how do we stand for Christ in a, in, in a culture that is bent upon compromise? compromising God's word, compromising absolute truth, compromising what it means to be an authentic Christian. How do we stand for Christ effectively in a society that's becoming worse and worse? Uh, Well, the Bible gives us many principles about that. We could go to New Testament teaching on it. But I think sometimes a better way to understand how how to stand for God, I think sometimes a better way to understand that is to look at people that actually did. Do you know that one of the reasons why God has included all of these Old Testament characters in the Bible? You ever wonder why the Old Testament's so long? You ever wonder why the Bible's so big? One of the reasons for that is because God said, whatsoever things were written aforetime. So the Apostle Paul actually said that in Romans 15 and verse 4. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. That we, through patience, and that word means perseverance and comfort. And that word means hope, encouragement, that we through patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope. And so what's the Bible teaching? The Bible's teaching that the reason why God gave us all these stories back in the Old Testament is so that we can read them and have hope that people just like you and people just like me went through bad times just like this. And we can learn from that. Okay. James said it this way in James chapter five. He said, take my brethren, the prophets. (laughs) So take them, take my brethren, the prophets for an example of suffering affliction out of patience. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. So what does the Bible say? The Bible says, you can actually look at a group of people in the Old Testament called the prophets. And you can look at the way they lived. You can look at the the stand that they took. And you can derive great encouragement from their lives. So with all of that in mind, I want us to look at one prophet in the Old Testament, very famous, one prophet in the Old Testament, and looking at this prophet, how do you stand for God in a culture of compromise. How do we do that? What well, what can God tell you about a man that lived 2,800 years ago? What can God tell you about him that will help you tomorrow morning at work? What can God tell you about him that can help you uh, as you stand for Christ in your neighborhood, at your job site, among your extended family members, with people that look at you like you're strange and kind of off a little bit because you believe in an antiquated book and you believe in God. And what what I mean, what can we learn? That's what the message is all about tonight. How to stand for God in a culture of compromise. Look at it. 1 Kings chapter 17. Let's see verse number one. 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse number one. Well, the Bible says in the, uh, where are we? I'm in 2 Kings, okay? That's going to help because I'm not ready to preach on 2, 2 Kings 17. There we go. 1 Kings chapter 17. It's been a long day remember Pastor Dennis said, we walked nine and a half miles on a golf course. Now, listen, uh, I don't golf much. I think golf courses, you're supposed to walk about five miles. But when you hit the ball over there and then hit the ball over there and hit the ball back there, you walk a whole lot more than five miles. And that's what happened to us today. I'm telling you that. Mark Twain said, golf is a good walk spoiled. Okay. And I believe that today. First Kings chapter 17, look at verse number one. Well, the Bible says, Elijah, do you see that? 1 Kings 17 and verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead. Okay, so where was Elijah from? He was from way over there. So the nation of Israel is over here, but he's from way over there. He's on the other side of the Jordan River. Uh, he's kind of off in a, in a nowhere place. He's kind of from a rural spot, not in the mainstream. The Bible says that Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab. So who is Ahab? Ahab's the king. Now, if I were to say to you, and I know that this is the Thursday night crowd, typically the Thursday night crowd are those that know their Bible and those that uh, are all in. So let me ask you a question tonight. If I were to say, Ahab, good guy or bad guy, what would you say? Bad guy, for sure. Ahab, and Ahab was married to Jezebel, and Jezebel was actually worse than Ahab. And uh, and Jezebel, good girl or bad girl? Yeah, bad, bad, for sure. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches that Ahab was the eighth king of the northern kingdom of Israel. And the Bible says that every king of Israel was bad. But when Ahab came to reign, he was worse than all the kings before him. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad when you're compared to other bad people and you're worse than the other bad people. That's Ahab. And so the Bible teaches that that Elijah comes in before Ahab. So where is Ahab? Ahab's in a place called Samaria. Now talk to me, where is Ahab? In a place called what? And Samaria in the Old Testament is a city. In the New Testament, Samaria is an area. That's a good way to remember it. As Samaria is an area, but in the Old Testament, Samaria was a city, and it wasn't just any old city. It was the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. So Ahab is in his palace. Ahab is, a, he's in control. Ahab is the king, but Ahab is a bad man. Elijah is just a nobody from nowhere. Elijah's a prophet, though. He loves God. He loves the word of God, and one day, Elijah shows up in Ahab's palace. He must have st- stood out like a sore thumb. And watch what Elijah says to Ahab here in verse number one. And the Bible says, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. What an audacious thing to say. Elijah shows up. He's got a really short message. And Elijah says, Hey, Ahab, I want you to know something. God sent me. I stand before him, and I'm telling you, it is not going to rain. Matter of fact, there's not even going to be dew on the ground until I say so. Got it? And then watch what happens in verse number 2. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, get thee hence. Okay, that's it. Elijah, you're done with your message. Get out of here. Because they're not going to like you, and they're not going to like your message, so scram. Get thee hence. Watch verse number 3. And turn thee eastward, well, that's toward his home, eastward. Go eastward, hide thyself by the brook Kereth, that is before Jordan. It's right by the Jordan River. Now, Pastor Dennis can tell you the Jordan River is not a big river. We crossed the Columbia River coming in from Seattle, that's a nice river. The Jordan River, not a nice river. Remember Naaman when he came down from Syria? And uh, and Elisha wanted to baptize not baptize him, but dip him seven times in the Jordan. Naaman's like, what in the world? Are there better rivers up in Syria? I mean, the Jordan River is not an impressive river. It's just a muddy little river. Well, guess what? Kareth is a brook that feeds the Jordan. I mean, this is a small, out-of-the-way place. And God says, hey, go to Kareth, go to the brook, and then watch what it says in verse number four. And it shall be... That thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Kareth, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and fish, or flesh, in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Lord, I I pray that you bless the message. Uh, We certainly need your help as we approach a text of scripture. Knowing that these are not just words in a book. Knowing that this is not the product of man's invention. Realizing tonight that this is your holy word. And we're asking that your Holy Spirit would take your Holy Word and help us to be more holy, more set apart unto your purpose. Strengthen us to stand for Christ. Strengthen us to be those that reflect Christ in a culture of compromise. Please, God, tonight bless this message, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you a two main thoughts tonight. First of all, I want to talk about what kind of person takes the stand in a culture of compromise. Because that person ought to be you. And that person ought to be me. And you might be a teenager tonight. You might be just a young person tonight. But I'm telling you something. God expects for you to stand in a culture of compromise. What kind of person does that? What kind of person was Elijah? What early clues does God give us about this life whereby you and I can learn, how do I stand in a world of compromise? Okay, so who is this? And then number two, how does God care for people like that? Do you know that God has a special affinity for people that stand for him? You know that God has, a special, has placed a special obligation upon himself to care for the people that care for the things that matter to him? In other words, you care for the things of God and God will care for the things of you. Okay, you don't believe that? How about this? Matthew 6, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these things shall be added unto you. Hey, you take care of God's business and God will help you take care of your business. Seek first. You look to God first. That's what Elijah did. And so how? what kind of person stands for God? What kind of person? And then how does God care for the people that stand for him? I think there's some great Bible principles for you and I, for you and I to understand. Okay, number one, uh, who is the person that stands for God? Well, look back at chapter 17 and verse 1, and let's learn about it. Uh, obviously, it's Elijah, but let's talk about the person Elijah. The person Elijah. What can we learn just from what we read tonight? no no other passages. The Bible has a lot to say about this guy, not just in the Old Testament, but Elijah will come back one day. Do you know that? Do you know that Elijah will be a preacher in the tribulation period, uh, back on earth for three and a half years, coming back to, I mean, Elijah is a big character in the Bible. Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus in Jesus' public ministry. I mean, Elijah's all throughout the Bible, But we won't talk about anything else about Elijah except for what this passage says. So who was this person Elijah? Better question, who ought you to be? What can you learn from this man in your own life? Okay, first of all, the person Elijah, we see him uh, as an individual, okay? We see him as an individual. We see his individuality. In other words, uh, we see uh, what the Bible says about how he appears unto Ahab, and that's always as an individual, Do you know that Elijah's ministry, by and large, was all alone? I mean, you read about the life of Elijah. Now, later on, way at the end of his life, he had a man to follow him and help him, whose name was Elisha. But most of Elijah's ministry, you read about him, I am alone, I am alone, I am alone. Remember when he stood before the prophets of Baal? And said, I alone of the Lord's prophets am here. And he alone took care of the prophets, the false prophets of Baal on that day. I alone. Remember when he uh, had a pity party, ran down to Mount Horeb and was there in the cleft of the rock. And uh, he complained to God, said, God, I'm the only one. Remember? And God reminded him, no, you're not the only one, Elijah. But he certainly felt that way. Alone. And can I just say this? If you're going to take a stand for God and a culture of compromise, you're going to have to do so alone. You're going to have to be willing to be the only one at the lunch table at your, at your school to say, you know what? Hey, uh, I'm going to stand for God. It might, I might lose some friends. Uh, you might be the only one at your uh, family get-together. Oh, you're the weird guy. You're the Christian guy. Uh, you're, the, you're, you're the Bible-thumping girl at your family. Hey, listen, you've got to be willing to bear the stigma of individuality. To stand for Jesus Christ, to stand for the cause of God, hey, he was an individual. But not only do I see him as an individual, number two, I see his identity. Is it not interesting how the Bible introduces this prophet? Now I know that for you and me, names might not be that important. My name is Kurt. You say, where did Kurt come from? My mom and my dad went to a movie, The Sound of Music, back in like 1964, 1965, and they oh, saw the Von Trapp family singing in the sound. The hills are alive. I would sing it for you, but I don't want to impress you too much, okay? Or depress you. I think it's the word I was looking for, but. Uh, and so they saw the family, and the impish kid in the family that got in trouble all the time was Kurt. So they decided, well, we like that name. So if we have another son, they had a son named Stephen. Now, that's a real name. Uh, we're going to name him Kurt. So I got the name Kurt because my parents watched a movie. Okay? Now, back in Bible days, names were a little bit more significant than that. Okay? Names meant something, and names followed people. Matter of fact, so important were names in the Bible that when God wanted to change the course of a person's life, he would change their name. He would change their name, whether that be Gideon or, or Abram or, or Paul or, or, or Peter or whomever. Hey, listen, names meant something. and But when you read the name Elijah, wow, is that a name. Why? Because the L part of Elijah, Elijah, L El, speaks of God, Elohim, the Creator God, the Powerful God, the Mighty God, L, and the last part of Elijah's name, Yah, refers to the Person of God, uh, Jehovah, uh, Yahweh, and so when the Bible says Elijah, what the name literally means is God, my God is Jehovah, my God is Jehovah. So really, if we were to have Elijah's name today, we'd say his name is God, God. His name is God, God. Now, don't you think there's something special about this man? He's identified as God, God. God, not only the, the, not only the creator God, but God, he's my God. Jehovah God, the self-existing God who reveals himself. I want to be known as a follower of God. When people See me and see my life and see my identity. I want to be inextricably linked with God. That's a person that stands for God. I wonder, what's the first thing people think of when they see you? When when people say your name at your school or at your workplace or in your neighborhood, what's the first thing they say about you? If I said Tiger Woods, you would say, well, golf. If I said Michael Jordan, you would say basketball. And, and that, that would be, that's probably what most of us would say. Why? Because that's what they're known for. But I would hope that if someone would say Kurt Skelly, I would hope that somewhere short on that short list would be loves God, Jesus, Bible. I would hope that something about my identity would tell people about the God whom I serve. And so the Bible says that Elijah was this individual who had this identity, but he also had a driving incentive. And I want you to see that in verse number one. We see him uh, as an individual. We see his identity, but watch his incentive in verse number one. Well, the Bible says, Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, now watch this, don't miss it. As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. Do you see the incentive of Elijah's life? The incentive of Elijah's life was, I stand before God. The incentive of Elijah's life was, hey, I'm on mission from God. I represent God. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm saying the hard things. That's why I have to live alone so often because I stand before God. Remember when Gabriel showed up to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1 and Zechariah was amazed that someone was in that holy place with him and Gabriel told him about John the Baptist and all that. Remember that? Gabriel said this, hey, I am Gabriel that stands before God boy, there is no higher calling and no greater privilege in life than to say, I stand before God. Do you know, as a New Testament believer, that you can stand next to God? We can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can stand before the very presence of God. We can enter the very throne room of God. And I think that we need to be incentivized day by day by the fact that, listen, I stand before God. And by the way, one day I will stand before God and give an answer for the deeds done in my body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. And that ought to drive me. Hey, I stand before God. It changes what I do. It changes where I go. It changes what I say. It changes how I think, because I know that I'm accountable to a holy God before whom I stand. That's the person Elijah. That's a person that stands in a culture of compromise. But not only do I see the person of Elijah, watch this. Number two, we see the person of Elijah. Number two, I see the prayer of Elijah. I see the prayer of Elijah. You say, okay, Pastor Skelly, maybe I missed something when you read those verses a moment ago, but I didn't see anyone praying. And guess what? You're right. If you read 1 Kings chapter 17, verses one through seven, I don't care how many times you read it, you won't find anyone praying. You say, well, then, Pastor Skelly, why are you telling us that Elijah was praying? Because the Bible fills us in on more details later on about this very story. Here's what the Bible says in James chapter 5. Don't miss it. Ready? Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth what? Talk to me. Much. Elijah... This is James 5, verse 17. Elijah was a man subject to like passions that we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So what is the Bible teaching? The Bible's teaching that Elijah not only announced this, to Ahab, but Elijah prayed that this would happen. And Elijah was so confident in the prayer that he had prayed that he went to Ahab and said, Ahab, I'm going to tell you something. It's not going to rain until I say so. Now, obviously, Elijah does does not control the weather. God does. But Elijah was so close to God. Elijah had so immersed himself in the word of God that Elijah knew the heart of God, that Elijah could say confidently to the person opposing God, hey, listen, my word, God's word. Boy, wow. You say, well, okay, Pastor Skelly, why did he have so much confidence to pray? Like, you mean to tell me I can pray that it doesn't rain, it won't rain? Yeah, if you know that's God's will. You say, well then, how did Elijah know that not raining was God's will? Huh. Great question. Great question. Let's answer it. You don't have to turn there, but let me read for you a couple of verses in Deuteronomy chapter number 11. Listen to this. Now just, just listen. Deuteronomy 11, verse 11. God is telling the generation that's going into the promised land where Elijah and Ahab now are, okay? Let me tell you what's gonna happen when you go into the promised land. Here's what he says. But the land, whither you go to possess it, is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh water of the rain of heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. God cares for this land. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year, even unto the end of the year. And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with your heart, with your soul. Watch this, that I will give you the rain of your land in due season. Hey, if you'll stay faithful to me, the rain's gonna keep on coming. The first rain and the latter rain that thou mayest gather corn, wine, oil. I will send grass to the fields for thy cattle. You may eat and be full. Watch this. Take heed. God says, hey, watch out. Take heed, therefore, to yourselves that your heart be, not be deceived and turn ye aside and serve other gods and worship them. Why? Because then the Lord's wrath will be kindled against you and he'll shut up the heaven, that there be no rain that the land yield not her fruit, lest she perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. So what did Elijah know? Elijah knew this. God had given his word. And in his word, Elijah knew that God had said, now if you bring other gods into this land, then I'm going to judge you by stopping the rain. So when Elijah prayed it wouldn't rain, what was he he praying for? He wasn't just saying, oh, what's some way I can get a hold of Ahab? I'll show him. No, what Ahab was doing is what Elijah was doing is Elijah was praying according to the will of God. Elijah was praying according to what God's word said would be true. And when Ahab and Jezebel brought Baal, that's what happened in chapter 16. They brought the false God Baal into Samaria. They built him a temple. First Kings 16 and verse 31. They're now worshiping in Israel another god. And not just another god, but Baal was the god of rain. Baal was the god of fertility. Baal was the one that, oh boy, if crops aren't growing and the rain's not coming and things aren't good, we gotta pray to Baal. What does Elijah know? Elijah knows how oh, God warned us about this. And God warned us that when other gods come in, he's going to teach us a lesson by stopping the rain. Because Baal's not a god, God's God. And so Elijah said, so I can pray according to the will of God. And I'm going to go tell Ahab that that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm praying it won't rain. And it won't rain because I trust what kind of faith is that? Hey, the person that stands for God and a culture of compromise is somebody that knows the word of God, that knows the will of God, and prays fervently. I wonder, is that you? Is that me? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 that when we pray according to God's will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. That's why it's imperative that we learn the Bible. Why? Because when we learn the Bible, then we can pray confident prayers. It's like kids: when you learn what your parents like and don't like, when you learn what your parents think are good for you and what's not good for you, you can ask things of your parents, and you can know they're gonna. You're, you can know they're gonna. You can know they're gonna give it to you. When you know that your will is their will, now you can't go in at two o'clock in the morning and say to mom and dad, "Hey, I, I want a hot fudge sundae. Can I have one?" No. Because you're just asking that to consume it upon your lusts. It's not good for you. But I can guarantee you you go to your mom and your dad and say, hey, mom and dad, uh, would you allow me to help you, you know, take out the trash and do some dusting in the living room? I can guarantee you that's according to their will. And they're going to say yes. And there's some things that even you would like that are according to their will. What's the point? The point is Elijah understood it. He prayed. And how did he pray? He prayed passionately. He prayed specifically. He prayed confidently, knowing what God's word said. Hey, how do you pray? Hey, can I ask you a better question? Can I ask you a better question? Do you pray? Not how do you pray, but do you pray? We have not because we ask not. You know what God wants? God wants his children to ask him for things. That's why when we read his word and learn about our great God and know that he loves us and know that he wants to help us, but as we read the Bible and know about God, oh, God, would you? Oh, God, help me. Oh, God answers those prayers. That's the person that stands for God in a culture of compromise. We see the person of Elijah. We see the prayer of Elijah. We see the proclamation of Elijah. But when you stand for God and a culture of compromise, watch this. You're not going to like this, but it's true. When you stand for God and a culture of compromise, eventually you're going to have to open this thing up. I'm not saying that we should be obnoxious. I'm not saying we should walk around like we're holier than thou or condescending away with all that. God delivers from a pharisaical spirit. But at some point, we've got to open our mouth and say something. And Elijah came to King Ahab and said, King Ahab, Ahab, I have an announcement. What you're doing is wrong. Where this country is going is wrong. Baal worship is wrong. God's not happy. And I stand with him, not with you. And the proclamation was an announcement. I wonder what kind of announcements do do we make about our faith? I'm afraid that many Christians today simply live in the witness protection program." Yeah, you know that you're a Christian when no one else knows it. This was an announced thing that Elijah did to Ahab. Announced, authoritative, not because Elijah had authority in himself. Who's Elijah? He's not a government official. Who's Elijah? He's not a military leader. Who's Elijah? He's not some rich, well-connected taxpayer in the country. Who's Elijah? He's a little person from nowhere. Who shows up one day and says, it's not going to rain. And I say that based upon not my authority, but the authority of God's holy word. Boy, that's the kind of Christian we need. One that speaks the word of God with authority, not in himself, but the authority vested already in the timeless truths of God's word. Announced and authoritative. But could I say this? His, His prophecy was not only announced. His prophecy was not only authoritative, but watch this. Number three, his announcement was anticlimactic. See, we love, we love stories, and we love story, we love st- stories on TV. We love stories in books that, that that have come to a great big climax. You know, here it comes, here it comes. Elijah goes in and, rah, ah, this is it. But Elijah goes in and says, "It's not going to rain." Then he leaves. Guess what Elijah? Guess what Ahab and the rest of them do? They're like Who was that freak? See the way he was dressed? Oh, some little old guy from nowhere told us it wasn't going to rain. They were nonplussed. They didn't believe him for a second. They didn't chase after him? They didn't try to locate him? They didn't put a GPS beacon on him. They just let him go. Now listen, after a year, they went out looking for him. After two years, they put out a search and rescue for him. After three years, it was an APB bulletin alert for him. But when he initially said it, nobody seemed to notice and nobody seemed to care. You know one of the toughest things about standing for God is when you stand for God, a lot of times in the moment, it just doesn't seem worth it. In the moment, it doesn't even seem credible. Think about our message. Jesus is coming again. Oh, yeah. God's going to judge unrighteousness. Oh, okay. One of the greatest attributes of a New Testament Christian is his ability to wait on God. That's what James teaches in James 5. He said, grudge not one against another, brethren. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Quit trying to settle all your disputes. Church, quit trying to make everything fair. God knows. Uh, he got, Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. He hath long patience for it until they receive their early and latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Hey, as New Testament believers that stand for God in a culture of compromise, yes, stand up, stand up for Jesus. And yes, announce your faith. And, and don't be obnoxious, but, but pray and stand and be and identify. And then wait. Because God will always defend his own. We can stand and wait I'm telling you, God does his best work in those situations. So what do I see? I see the kind of person that stands for God in times of compromise. Is that you? Is that me? It ought to be. But watch this lastly tonight, and we'll be done very quickly. So how does God care for us? You say, well, Pastor Skelly, it just doesn't seem fair. God puts us in situations where we're the only one. And God puts us in situations where we're ostracized and God puts us in situations where we have to wait indefinitely, and why doesn't God just zap it? Why doesn't God just change it? Why can't this just But watch how God cares for Elijah in all of this. It's the same way that God cares. It's the same way that God cares for you. It's the same way God cares for me. Well, watch it. first of all, verse number two. The Bible says, and the word of the Lord came unto him. You know what happens when you get busy obeying the word of God that you know? God will continue to give his word to you. You know one of the reasons why we struggle to understand the Bible? Because we don't obey the parts we do understand. The Bible teaches that if any man will know his will, do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. God gives understanding to us as we obey the things that God has already told us that we do understand. So what has Elijah done? Elijah has obeyed the word of God. Elijah has gone in to represent and obey God. And in that obedience, God said, okay, here's the next step. Here's the next step. See, what we want is we want God to unleash the five-year plan. Okay, God, uh, I'm thinking about following you with my life. Could you let me know what the next 20 years will look like, and I'll make a decision? That's not the way God works. Thy word is a lamb under my feet. No, God wants you to trust him in day-by-day decisions. As I obey him today, he gives me light for tomorrow. But when you turn your headlights on to go to Seattle, your headlights don't go to Seattle. They go go a a few, few, I don't know how many yards ahead of you, your headlights go, but somebody knows that. and One of you nerds, well, well, actually, it's okay, okay. But they don't go to Seattle. So you drive as far as your headlights show and you keep on driving. That's how, the way God's word, God's word works. So what does the Bible teach us about how God cares for us as a prophet? I think, first of all, God cares for us through the Bible. That's what God's word is to us. God doesn't come and speak audibly to us today. God's given us the word of God. He's given us the Bible. So how does God care for his people today? One of the primary ways by which God cares for you is the Bible. Do you know the fact that you have a Bible on your phone, the Bible on your iPad, a Bible uh, in in a book, a Bible? You know, the, the fact that you have a Bible is God telling you, I love you. And I love you enough to tell you what you need to know. And I love you enough to give you the information that you need for life. So what's God doing in 1 Kings chapter 17? He's caring for Elijah through the Bible. God cares for us by guiding us with his word. And here's the thing. When God gave his word to Elijah, here are three words that come to my mind. The the, the word of God was directional. Hey, I want you to go that way, eastward. The word of God was uh, actionable. Hey, get moving, get the hence. The word of God was understandable. Hey, go to that brook, go to that destination. You know, God's word is not as hard to understand as you think it is. D.L. Moody said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible I do understand that bother me. And what God is telling Elijah here is not hard to, hey, go that way, go that way, get to that brook, and stay there. Now, here's our problem. The reason we don't obey is because we don't, we don't understand why God told, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, God, wait, wait a minute, you mean to tell me, Okay, I'm supposed to just go sit by a brook and you're going to have unclean birds bring me food. That's never happened before. Ravens don't have a, a, a love for mankind. And by the way, ravens are unclean birds anyway. Nope. Now, wait a minute. Before you challenge what God says, ask yourself the question, do you understand what God said? Now, you might not understand why God wants you to do that. Sometimes I I struggle with why would God tell poor people to tithe, right? Sometimes I I struggle with that. Like, why would God expect a widow on a fixed income, like back in the Bible, to give a tithe? And so a widow might say, well, therefore, I'm not going to tithe because I don't know why God would tell me to do that. But it's it's not hard to understand that God did tell her to do that. And I can show you illustration after illustration after illustration that when people obey what they understand God says, even though they don't understand the why of what God said it, God always blesses. He always blesses simple obedience. So how does God care for us? He cares for us through the Bible. We don't always understand why he tells us to do things, but our job is to do the things that he clearly tells us to do. And when you do the things that God clearly tells you to do, there's always blessing. And so he cares for us through the Bible. He'll never tell us something that's detrimental to our good. Listen to me. God will never tell you to do something that's detrimental to your good or detrimental to his glory. They're not mutually exclusive. God's glory and your good always go together. So God cares for us through the Bible. But not only did God care for him through the Bible, number two, God cared for him through the brook. Well, watch what it says in verse number four. And it shall be, uh, verse three rather, get thee hence, turn thee eastward, hide thyself by the brook. cares Well, wait a minute. What had God affirmed to Elijah? Elijah now told Ahab, it's not gonna rain. And when it doesn't rain, that water sources come from the rain, right? So brooks that have a lot of water, they usually have a lot of water during rainy season. Uh, they usually do very well when there's a lot of precipitation. So go by that brook and stay there. Now, what does Elijah know? Elijah knows eventually this, has a, this brook has a shelf life. He knows that God has told him to go somewhere to drink water from a source that's going to gradually go away. And guess what Elijah does? He sees that happening day by day. And yet God is still caring for him in that season by a brook. You know what brooks are? Brooks are natural things. You know what God does in your life? God cares for you through natural means. Did, did, you, did you know that, that, that when you go home and open your refrigerator and there's food in it, do you know who put that food there? God did. You say, no, he didn't, because I can tell you I was at Walmart, and I put it in the basket, and I know that. No, no. God gives you power to get wealth. Every good gift comes from God. And we need to learn to recognize in our life even the natural things that God, that, that, that we enjoy in our life come from God, natural things, like drinking that water today, that bottle of water, that Gatorade, and saying, God, you've cared for me. See, I think sometimes if we're not careful as believers, we only see God in big supernatural ways. Like, remember that time when Aunt Edna had that surgery and she was going to die and we prayed and she, she, she was healed? And boy, God did a miracle. Boy, God showed up. And did God show up? Sure he did. But guess what? God showed up today too. And he showed up many times today. And God cares for us normally through natural means. And day by day, by week, by month, by year, the brook came. But that was a brook of God's provision in Elijah's life. And so how did God care for Elijah? How does God care for you? By meeting your needs. And he does that naturally in your life, but you're down to recognize it. Jesus said it this way, hey, as you pray every day, as you pray that model prayer, then one of the things you ought to pray for is, Lord, give me today my daily bread. But I wonder how many of us today actually ask God for our daily bread. Probably most of us didn't. Probably not one of us did. Probably not one person in this room today said, and Jesus told us to do it. Probably nobody said, Lord, would you please give me food today? You know why? Because we just assume we can have, we have stuff without God. So we don't acknowledge it. We don't ask for it because we just assume it's always going to be there. Well, guess what? The brook's not always going to be there. And we'd have to see the God behind the brook. God cares. He cares for us through the Bible. He cares for us through the brook. But watch this lastly tonight. You've listened so well. How does God care for his children, who stand for him, who represent him and a culture of compromise. He cares for us through the Bible. He cares for us through the brook. That's the natural means. But you know what God also does? He cares for us through the birds. And watch how God does that here in verses 4 and 5. Look at it real quickly. We're done. Verse 4. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook. That's the natural way. But watch this. I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Nothing could be more confusing to Elijah than that. Ravens were unclean birds in the Bible. Scavengers. I mean, ravens would be the birds today, like the crow that you'd see by the side of the road, picking at some dead animal. I mean, who would want to eat what... Bravens men, when the Bible says that to bring meat and flesh or bread and flesh, that just means food. We, we watch today as the osprey were flying off Chambers bread. They had dived down in the water and they had a little uh, fish in their claws. and It was just majestic. I can see how an osprey might come feed me with a nice salmon. Oh, that sounds good. You know, a little, little sauce and butter. I mean, wouldn't that be nice? But God says, no, this is not going to be osprey with salmon. This is going to be a raven with whatever, a raven, ravens that pick at dead animals, bring in an eyeball or an intestine, or, and you're going to live that way. I've commanded that. You know, ravens, we're not, we're not, we're not creatures that are uh, amenable to human beings. Well, ravens don't like humans. They have no loyalty. Ravens, have ra- 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 ravens and crows, they're, they're, they're very deceitful birds. You know that, right? And they'll steal, they'll lie. I mean, ravens. Didn't Edgar Allan Poe write the, the, the poem about the ravens? Still freaks me out today, okay? Ravens. Remember when Noah let uh, the first bird out of the ark to see if there's land? What did he lay, let out? A raven. What did the raven do? Didn't come back. Why? Because Raven's like, there's a whole world out here. I'm going to live with those people back there. I ain't coming back. Right? Then he let out a dove. The dove came back. But God didn't tell a dove to feed Elijah. God didn't tell your, 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 your Labrador retriever, now that's a good animal, right? To feed you. No, it wasn't a tail wagging. It was a raven. You know what God does sometimes? He cares for you in the most unusual ways. He cares for you through the most unusual people. He blesses your life in ways that you never could have envisioned and never could have planned. And by the way, he never repeated this. So quit trying to predict how God's going to help you because you'll never get it. God said to Joshua, hey, here's the plan. March around the city one time a day. On the seventh day, do it seven times. The walls will come down. Guess how many times God did that in the future? None. Hey, Moses, here's what I want you to do. Just raise up your rod. See the salvation of the Lord. I'm going to part this ocean in two. Guess how many other times God did that? None. You know what God delights in doing? God delights in doing unique things. Because he doesn't want you to trust the way he does things. He wants you to trust him who does things. God doesn't want your faith to be in his predictable actions. God wants you to, your faith to be in his predictable character. So how does God care for the prophet? And by the way, can I say Moses like Baptist church? That's what he's going to do for you. That's what he's going to do for you. Why? Because your church is standing for God. Your church that's identified by Jesus' name. Your church that's standing for God in a culture of compromise. What's God gonna do for you? He's gonna care for you as you stay faithful to this book. He's gonna show you His love and His direction. Do what He says, obey Him. Don't let a building program take you away from winning people to Jesus Christ praying for needs, serving this community. Don't do it. You just keep on doing the understandable, actionable, uh, directional commands of God's word. He's caring for you. And then you're going to see God meet your needs in natural ways as a church. Well, that makes sense that God's people would give to this project. It makes sense that uh, natural ways by which people would expect. But I'm going to tell you that God's going to send some ravens to you. God is going to send some ravens too. And there's going to be some unusual things. You trust me on this. We saw it at at Harvest Baptist Church. God's going to use some unusual things, do some weird things to supply your needs as you follow God. So I was at Harvest for 20 years. Halfway through, we were... We had moved three buildings. We had grown, moved to three different buildings, just like you guys. Growing. We finally had to build a a building, and we didn't have any money. And it was going to cost $8.5 million. In 2008. We had just given all of our money to missions as a church, all of it. I said, in March, folks, we're going to have an offering and we're going to see what God does. I'm not going to preach on finances. I'm going to preach on faith. Now, let's just see what God does. So I preached for three months about let's have faith in God. In March, I threw a banquet. My wife and I hosted it. People came and I said, okay, let's, let's, let's give to the Lord. That, that day in the offering plate, we had a million, $1.1 million in the offering plate. You say, oh, Pastor Skelly, you must have had rich people. No, we did never rich people. Matter of fact, I'll tell you this. One of the gifts in that offering plate was a Christian school teacher who was making, at that point, $22,000 a year, who had saved for eight or nine years for her wedding and put $8,000 in that offering. All her wedding money. She had a rented wedding dress and was happy as a lark. My son, Nathaniel, you met him? He was a high school senior. He put $8,000, all of his college savings, in that offering. Ravens. Ravens. Our assistant pastor worked at McDonald's every day for a year and a half. From 4 o'clock in the morning until 7.45 in the morning, and I didn't know it. I didn't know it. And he'd come to work with a smile on his face. And he took every dime he made in that side job, 20 hours a week working, and he put all of it, $25,000 in that offering. But ravens, ravens. I could tell you story after story. God did it. I remember we got almost done with the building. We couldn't afford furniture. I never thought about that part of it. Think about furniture. I never thought about that part of it. Never thought about it. We had this building. We had no furniture. And I said to our folks on a Sunday night, I said, folks, listen, I'm sorry. We don't have any money left. We built this building. Uh, But but three things that I want you to pray about. Number one, we don't have any furniture. So uh, when we have our opening day, I want you to bring your lawn chairs, bring kitchen chairs, whatever, we'll, we'll, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. I said, but if God lays it on your heart, you know, just pray about that. Maybe you could buy a chair for your own family, like maybe everyone could just buy their own chair, maybe we'll do that. I said, just, just pray about it. I, I, I don't want to ask you for any more money, just, just pray about it. I said, we're going to have a gravel parking lot. That's fine. Gravel's fine, but it was up a big, big hill, and if the rain came, you almost couldn't get out the hill with gravel. I said, folks, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. But I'd, I'd love to have it paved if we could, but it'll be fine. I said, folks, we have a, a cafeteria, but we have no kitchen equipment. I said, I'd love to be able to have stoves and refrigerators and, a, and a, all that stuff, but we, we can't. I, I, that's a want, I know, but, but it'd be nice to have it, but just pray about it. You know, that night, a man came to me after church, and he was weeping. He said, Pastor, I want to I pave that parking lot. I thought he meant, like, actually, I want to pave the parking lot. No, he wanted to pay for the. He wrote a check for $275,000. That Wednesday, I was meeting with a man for discipleship. He had just been saved. I led him to Christ about two months before. Just a working-collar, blue-collar man. We went over the assurance of salvation that morning. I didn't know he owned a major manufacturing business. I didn't know he had 90 employees. I didn't know any of that. We finished our discipleship lesson, and he said, Pastor Skelly, you know how you talked about those Chairs for church? I said, yeah. He said, well, we weren't here when you started building this building. We weren't able to give anything, so we, we want to help with those chairs. I said, well, that's great. And I'd told people, buy your own chairs, so I thought he was going to buy chairs for his family. And so he put an envelope on my desk. He walked out. What's, what do I do? <laughs> I waited until he went out. God bless you, homie. See, it's an envelope, you <laughs> Open that envelope, $65,000. He bought every chair for the auditorium, all of them. That Tuesday, a man by the name of Matt called me. He said, Pastor, I have an anonymous person that called me. He said they want to buy the kitchen equipment. How much is it? I said, I'm embarrassed to tell you. I'm embarrassed to tell you. They said, no, no, he wants to know. I said, tell him he doesn't have, tell him he doesn't have to do it. No, no, he wants to. I said, S- I-, I-, I said, it's going to be a lot of money. I said, I don't even want to say. So he said, okay. So he called back and said, The guy said he'll give $75,000. Well, I told him, I said, Well, tell him that we'll put it in an escrow account because the, 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 kid, the commercial kitchen's gonna cost $150,000. Ten minutes later, Matt called me back and said, Hey, he said he wants to give you the $150,000 right now. Listen, that was in three days. I was just a kid. But you know what we believed? We believed that God had raised up a church to reach a community. We believe this book is true. We believe the world needs Jesus. We were just kind of dumb enough and crazy enough to say, hey, let's build this thing. You know what God sent? Ravens. He sent ravens. And that's what God is going to do for you. Trust him. Do what he says obey his word, and see God do great and mighty things for Moses Lake Baptist Church. Father, thank you for this opportunity that you've given me to speak to these friends. Thank you, Lord, for the incredible way that you have blessed them. Lord, I'm excited because I I know that you're going to do things in their church. I know that you're going to do things in their lives that, that they're going to stand back and say, wow, wow, that is so unusual. I never thought that that would, oh God, we want to give you the glory for all of it. Thank you for doing things so outside of our logic that we have to look to heaven and say, God, it has to be you, it has to be you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.